to the Cook Rotary Podcast. I'm Marie, and in this episode, I have a chat with my friend Aubrey, where we share our experiences growing up in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints with narcissistic mothers. We are not representatives of the church and are just sharing our perspectives. This is a conversation that is very important to me because I want to raise awareness that narcissistic abusers are everywhere in society, especially in settings where they can be praised and publicly recognized. Please share this episode with someone who may be struggling with a narcissistic parent. Hey Aubrey, welcome to the Cook Curry Podcast. I'm so grateful and excited to have you join me today. Hi Marie, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So Aubrey and I have a lot in common. We both grew up in the LDS church. We both served missions and we both had positive and negative experiences within the LDS church. And Aubrey has so kindly been willing to have this conversation with me and share her story with us. So Aubrey, I was wondering if we could start with you telling us about your childhood. What was your earliest memory? Yeah, yeah. Um, my earliest memory um, was probably at about three years old and um, maybe four, somewhere around there. And I remember my my mom and dad were in a fight about something. I don't remember what it was, but they were fighting, and my dad was carrying boxes out of the house that were, I guess, must have been his belongings. I think that must have been when he was uh, moving out because my parents um, finalized their divorce um, when I was three. I think it was a, four, a few months before I turned four or something like that. And that memory of your dad leaving with his boxes, do you remember how you felt when you saw that? I just remember feeling really sad and confused. Just like, well, where's, where's daddy going? Because I've, I've always been a big daddy's girl and, um, he's, he's not a narcissist. Um, and so I've, I've always been really close to him and had, had a bond with him um, that I never was able to have with my mom. And so I was just upset because I was worried that I wasn't going to see my dad again. And I was just confused about the whole situation because, I mean, I don't remember. Maybe things were explained to me about what was going on, but I don't remember if, you know, if it was, what was said, or anything like that. I just remember being sad and confused, mainly. I'm so sorry you had to experience that. Children are so innocent, and memories like that stay with us for a long time. Could you tell us a little bit more about what happened after that and what life was like growing up with your mom? Honestly, a lot of my childhood is really fuzzy as far as memories go. I, due to the amount of trauma that I, that I went through um, in my childhood, I don't remember probably 90% of it, um, but my therapist said that's normal, unfortunately, 
due to due to the trauma. Um, but some of the things that I do remember, um, one of the the main memories that sticks out for me is um, unfortunately one of the most traumatic ones, and um, and that was being locked in the laundry room for time out. Um, so I wasn't expecting to get emotional, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, as a little girl, um, probably from the ages to about four to about eight years old, I, my mom would lock me in our laundry room for time out. Um, and we lived in my grandma's basement. It was built in like the 50s. And so the laundry room doubled as the utilities closet and cement, unfinished, and had the tiniest little window in it. And so not a lot of natural sunlight that could come through. And my mom would would shove me in there and close the door but there wasn't a lock on it so she would stand in front of the door and hold it shut and and she would turn the light off before she would close the door and and so I was just sitting there in the dark just crying hitting my fists on the door and begging her to let me out but instead of instead of opening the door and realizing how terrified I was, I mean, I was just little, um, she would open the door, scream at me for, you know, trying to open the door. Um, and then, because I would usually find my way, lift my hand up, kind of scale the door and the wall right next to the door in the dark until I found the light switch. And I would flip on the light. And that's when my mom would swing the door open just enough to stick her arm in. And then she would flip the light off. And and she and then she would just slam the door shut again. Um, she's claimed in recent years when I've tried to talk to her about it that it was only for like five minutes that she would lock me in there at a time. But to me, I mean... <laughs> It felt like it was like 20, 30 minutes, maybe more. Um, but I mean, when you're a child and you're in a dark, scary place like that alone, I mean, time just stands still and it just feels like so much longer than maybe it really is. And so maybe it really was only five minutes, but it felt like 20 or 30 minutes and and it was just very scary and very traumatic. And it would happen at least once a day, sometimes twice a day, probably every day from about four to eight years old. And my siblings, well, my brother was put in there about half as often as I was. And then my, and he's older than me. And then my little sister um, was never put in there she was a golden child and she was only put in time out one time and that was in sitting on a kitchen chair in the corner of the kitchen 
in a well-lit kitchen and just facing the corner for like five minutes, like a normal timeout. And but I, I realize now that, you know, I got the brunt of things because I, I'm the scapegoat child. And so, so that, that's really the, the primary memory that stuck with me from my childhood. I have, you know, some other memories here and there that pop up once in a while, but a lot of them are really fuzzy, but that's the one that's just really, really vivid still. I can't even imagine how scared you must have been being in that room. As, as long as I've studied narcissism and abusive parents, the more I learn about them, the more I feel like I don't understand them sometimes. Because yeah. how could a parent, and I, you and I are both parents ourselves, we're both mothers, yeah. how could yeah. a parent treat a child like that? Yeah, I don't, I don't understand it either. I could never do that to my child. And all this time, while you're having these really high-stress, high-anxiety situations with your mom, you were growing up in the LDS church and you were going to church. Yes, that's correct. Could you share with us what your experience was like growing up in the church? So I... It wasn't all bad, like you mentioned at the beginning. Um, I did have some positive experiences. I I made friends, um, you know, just like like any any kid going to like school or you know any other church. I would imagine. Um, but then uh, there were some some negative experiences that were actually quite traumatic as well. Um, Not so much that I can recall in my childhood, but in my early teen years, um, when I was, um, I believe I was 12 or 13 years old. Um, I think I was maybe 13 or it was just before I turned 13. Um, uh, I I was at girls camp and um, and we were doing this thing called singing in the trees, and which is exactly like what it sounds like. I don't know if you ever like went to girls camp and did that, did you? In Singapore, we have youth conferences, but we don't really do like girls camp. Maybe it's more of like an like American, an American. Yeah. yeah, yeah, maybe because we do both. We do the youth conference and the girls camp, and yeah. So this was my second year at girls camp and we were uh so we'd go uh all of the wards or congregations um would gather and I don't remember how many there were I don't know probably because it was like a whole a whole stake but it was it was a lot maybe half a dozen different congregations together more um and we would each each ward would have a hymn, um, I think one or two, maybe three hymns that we would sing. Um, one, I think that like we would sing just our little ward and then, and then maybe another one that like, 
you know, all of us would sing together and stuff. And it was supposed to be this, like, really nice, uplifting, like, being in the trees and the forest and stuff and being with nature and singing. And it was, um, and it was uh, after sunset, I think it was probably around... 9.30 or 10 at night, so it was under the stars, it was beautiful, um, and everything was wonderful until I, um, we were finished, and all of the girls and my readers just ran off back to our campsite, and I didn't bring my flashlight, I don't know why, but <laughs> I just was like, oh, I'll just, you know, I'll walk with one of the other girls who and share their flashlight with them. And so I was completely in the dark, in the middle of the forest, had no sense of direction, had no idea where I was at all. And and I I was just terrified and I I didn't know where to go. And so as each all the other words were just filing out one by one and then I would stop um, at least one girl in every ward as they were filing out and just say, hi, have you seen 14th ward? Do you know where 14th ward went? And, you know, at the beginning I was like trying to stay calm, but then as each one went by and the girls would just say, nope, sorry, and just keep walking and wouldn't even like say, you know, alert a leader like, hey, I think this girl's lost. Can we help her find her word? No, nothing. Like, until the very last word was leaving. And by this point, I was just sure that I was going to die. I know that sounds dramatic, but, but I mean, I was like, I, I don't have a flashlight. I have no idea where my campsite is. I have a terrible sense of direction, naturally. And that's a thing all on its own. And I just thought, great, like, I'm going to get eaten by a bear or something. And so I just started, like, sobbing, and I stopped the very last word filing out, and it was actually the Spanish word. And so the leaders hardly spoke any English, but then the one of the girls translated for me to her leader, and they actually helped me. And so they took me to the stake pavilion, where thankfully, like, my bishop's wife was, I think it was my bishop's wife, somebody in the bishopric's wife was sitting there just by herself for whatever reason at like 10 30 at night and and they're like we have a lost girl and I'm just sobbing and then she's like are you the lost girl and I'm like yes and she's like let's get you back to to our ward and our campsite was like like two campsites away from from that pavilion it was super close and I'd been gone for probably at least 15 minutes and they didn't even notice I was gone like, I walk in, and they're all just, like, around the campfire, roasting s'mores, making banana boats, and they're like, oh, hey, Aubrey, do you want to make a banana boat? And I was just silent, and I'm just like, sure, okay. Like, that's all I could say, because in my mind, that's when I realized, oh, my gosh, I really could have died. I really could have just, like, if this last word hadn't helped me, I really could have just ended up lost in the middle of the woods. And, like, who knows how long it would have taken for my ward, my leaders who were supposed to be in charge of me and my safety for those five days that we were camping. Like, 
who knows how long it would have taken them to actually notice, oh my gosh, Aubrey's not here. And so I just, that was when I started to realize like, oh, I don't really matter to my mom and I don't really matter to the church either, or at least to these women and girls in in this congregation. And that was a really tough pill to swallow as, you know, a barely 13-year-old girl who was just, it's right before I started eighth grade, just <laughs> brand new, like going through all of the, you know, growing up <laughs> changes of um, teenage years and everything, and then just feeling like, you know, like I just, the two places where I was supposed to be the safest and feel the the most love, I, I didn't. I didn't feel safe at all at church with these girls, with these leaders, and at home. I didn't feel safe either of those places. And so I told my mom about it when I got home, and she was upset about what happened, and but I think it was more because you know, more to do with her than me, honestly. And after that, she didn't force me to go back. But I, I just, I didn't feel like I belonged or that they really cared about me beyond just a number. And that was really hurtful to me. I, I know what it's like to feel invisible at home and then also feel invisible at church. Your, your experience reminds me of one time, I think I was actually like 15, so I was a little bit older, and I was like desperate for help, like things were not good at home, I was so stressed all the time, now I know it was anxiety, but I was like losing yeah. hair, like at freaking 15, I was so stressed all the time, I think it was around the time Facebook came about, and so... Like, all of us young women, and even with the leaders, like, we created, like, a Facebook page or something for the young women Mm. in the ward. And one of my new Facebook friends was my Sunday school teacher. Mm. And I thought she was so cool, and I really, really looked up to her. And there was this one day I had this huge fight before church with my mother, and I wanted to go to church because she does put on like a different persona when she's at church. Yeah, I totally get that. <laughs> so even though like I was kind of invisible in my ward, I still loved going to church because I had friends in other wards, like from mm-hmm. like people I met in seminary and youth conference and stuff. And I remember being so sad during Sunday school, so I left and I sat in the bathroom like for the next two hours because back then church was three hours right yeah Mm -hmm. and I sent a message to my Sunday school teacher and I was like hey I'm so sorry I missed your lesson and guess what she said Aubrey (laughs) what did she say she was like oh I didn't notice that you left (gasps) and it was like a dagger to my heart because that was like my attempt to like get someone to notice me yeah and she like didn't even notice that I was gone oh and so it was like wow like I really 
like are movies just a fairy tale where people are happy and loving like is that not right I was like wow like I'm really trying here and like no one seems to care no one seems to notice and I've had to learn the hard way that there are people who do notice and Mm -hmm. and who do love us we we just need to put in the effort to go find them because looking looking back now I've had conversations with some of my friends that I grew up with in the church and they were suffering too but they didn't have the words to express it and neither did I you know like me telling a Sunday school teacher sorry I left how was she supposed to know that what I was really saying was like I really need someone to talk to like that's what I should have said instead but I didn't know how to say that I totally get that and I mean especially where like mental health was just such like at least I mean I don't know if it's different in Singapore where you grew up but at least here in the U.S. like mental health it's getting better as far as the stigma goes but it's just always been very stigmatized and so I mean I think that and especially within the church I feel like um, at least from my experience like like they just expect you to be so happy all the time and just like, oh, well, you know, you have the light of Christ and all of this. And so you just, you know, like, what do you have to be sad about? And it's like, well, I I don't want to be sad. Like, I'm not choosing to be sad or anxious or whatever. But, you know, it's not that easy sometimes when your own brain is, like, fighting against you, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, that makes sense. And it's it's interesting to me because Jesus Christ suffered for all of us. And he went through every kind of emotion. He went through every yeah. kind of pain. Mm-hmm. And yet, some people in the church are uncomfortable when people do talk about pain. When really, the very center of the church, the church that Jesus Christ is the head of, who very openly met with people who were in pain, who were sick, who were emotionally distraught. He spent time with them. Yeah, and he loved them. Let's move on to narcissism, because yeah. I would love for you to share with us how you first learned about narcissism and how you started to connect the dots in your life yeah absolutely so I mean I just always felt like something was just kind of off for lack of a better word with um my mom and my relationship with her because I mean my siblings especially my sister have just always had very very different relationships with my mom than I ever have and so I just started to feel like you know I I can't it can't just like be me you know I can't be like really the only problem here because I had so many friends I still have a lot of friends um and you know really I I tend to get along with people in general 
really well. My mom is really the primary one that I that I struggle with. And so I, as I was in, let's see, this would have been about a year and a half ago when I was in group therapy for postpartum depression and anxiety. Um, it was an intensive outpatient program. Um, and I was really hesitant about it at first just because of the stigma and everything, but I'm so grateful I did it for so many reasons. But um, I, that was kind of the beginning of the, what started opening my eyes to narcissism is because I remember uh, in one of the sessions um, kind of venting about something with, with the group about my mom and, and this one, this one woman mentioned, she said, you know, that, that sounds like gaslighting to me. And I had like kind of heard that term before, but like, like, I really didn't know a whole lot about it before then. And so then she kind of like described it a bit. And then I was like, okay, yeah, I see what you're saying. You know, that, that does kind of sound, sound like that fits. Um, and so then I started from there that kind of got the wheels turning and I started like on my own researching things about mental health. And I started watching YouTube videos from accredited um, like therapists and uh, mental health professionals um, talking about, uh, I think, first gaslighting. And then, you know, it would like go to different videos that are related to that topic. And so then it would, like, bring up, you know, like, oh, well, you watch this on gaslighting, so what about watch this on narcissism and then, like, BPD and things like that. And so then at first I thought, oh, maybe my mom, like, has borderline personality disorder or something like that. Um, and I even talked to my therapist about it. Um, but then... Uh, I, the more I started to research things, I was like, no, that's, that doesn't quite fit. Um, and then I started looking more into narcissistic personality disorder. And I was like, okay, like, this is starting to fit more. And that actually um, kind of came up more um, a little under a year ago when I started therapy again <laughs> for, um, with a different therapist for, uh, to start working through my traumas. Um, and anyways, and my therapist went through the checklist of, in the DSM-5 manual and of the traits of NPD. And she was like, this isn't an official diagnosis because, you know, she's not here for me to like directly diagnose her and stuff. And she's like, and what you've described, your, what you've experienced with her, uh, this is what it sounds like to me. And and she's like, you know, your mom checks all of the boxes and you really only need to check like, like five or six, I think. And so, so that was kind of, that was like the wake up call. And I'm like, okay, like, I'm not crazy. <laughs> this isn't just me, you know, like, like my mom, my mom really does have, have some issues, but she, you know, she needs to be willing to first accept and acknowledge that and seek help for herself and be genuine about wanting that help in order to change. And unfortunately, I mean, she hasn't been willing to do that. Um, 
and, you know, any efforts that she's made to change, I've I felt like, at least from what I've seen and experienced, haven't really been sincere. It's just been to try to kind of suck me back in. Just watching videos, basically, and on mental health from professionals and talking to my own therapist about it and about my personal experiences from the past and the present, and then just putting pieces together and figuring out, like, okay, you know, this this all makes sense, and this explains my entire life. It started with that group, that support group you were in, and was that what caused you to realize that you were abused? Yeah, yeah, actually. That's what started to get the wheels turning on that as I started to, uh, when somebody mentioned, um, uh, you know, the gaslighting and then like, like, you know, oh, well, gaslighting is a form of emotional abuse. And then I'm like, oh, well, you know, my mom's like not abusive. Like we butt heads like all the time pretty much, but (laughs) not quite all the time, but the majority of the time. Um, but you know, like she's, she's not abusive. Like everybody has those times and whatever. And I just kind of brush it off. Um, but that kind of got the wheels turning. But then when I, when I like really, really realized it was actually when my current therapist just straight up told me, like when I told her about the whole being locked in the laundry room thing, uh, she, she just looked completely like just shot a deer in headlights kind of shot holy crap you just you really experienced this and then and then she's just like that is straight up mental and emotional abuse that's psychological abuse right there and if you had experienced this today like if you were a child going through this today then CPS would remove you from the home. That's how serious that is. And it wasn't until that moment when she when she really said that and put it in those words where I was like, holy cow, are you serious? And she's like, yeah, this is, <laughs> like, this isn't just, you know, some, like, oh, yeah, like, she probably shouldn't have done that, like, kind of a bad parenting thing, whatever. Like, no, that was, like, that was straight up abuse and for like four years straight at least of my childhood. And she's like, yeah, that, that definitely explains, <laughs> you know, why, why you have PTSD. And, and then I was later diagnosed with CPTSD from, from a psychologist that I saw to, cause I just want to get my mental health on track. And so, yeah, it's just, it's had a lot of impact on me um, beyond uh, just my childhood, even though I haven't really talked to her much or had much of a relationship with her now for about the last 10 months or so, almost a year. It's still like I'm, I'm working through unpacking all of the, the trauma and, and, you know, healing from all the damage that has been done since, you know, since I was a child for the last, like, 
25 plus years. <laughs> so it's just, it's a lot. But anyway, sorry. I hope that answered your question. <laughs> no, yeah, you definitely did. And I can't imagine the frustration and the confusion it must have been for you, that realization, like, wow, my mother did abuse me. And that must have been really difficult for you to accept. Yeah, it really was. And that's actually why I, I've mostly stopped talking to her is because, yeah, just having that realization and having, having a professional say those words to me, letting me know just how serious it really was, like just really struck me and, and let me know that I, I really was never in the wrong for feeling any sort of resentment or any of those feelings um, towards my mom growing up and even today because, I mean, how could I not when she, she did so many horrible things to me throughout my life and then, and then would get mad at me for, you know, just bringing it up and just acting like either I deserved it or like it was a normal parenting tactic and, you know, a normal thing to do for time out. And it's like, mm, no, but you did it completely differently with my sister. So it wasn't, it wasn't just all you knew how to do because she didn't get that treatment. So, and she's only three years younger than me. So, you know, you experience all of this the past 20 plus years and during the past almost three decades, was your mother an active member of the church? Yeah, she still is. In fact, she, I don't know, because I haven't really talked to her in almost a year, so uh, they could have been released now, but I know that at least for two, three years, she and my stepdad were temple workers. And so that was another thing that just even still boggles my mind is, you know, how, how could they be called to, to work in, in the Lord's house? Like, and just, I don't know even how to describe my thought process with that, but just like, shouldn't you have to be in like, like really good standing with God, be a really good person and be someone who's not abusing their children <laughs> in order to have that calling. And so, you know, even though she, it's been like 20 years or more since she's walked me in the laundry room, but still, I mean, she's continued to gaslight me and manipulate me and, you know, psychologically abuse me in countless ways ever since then. I, I've been, I've recognized now that I've been going through the abuse cycle with her and that's why, why I just always felt like I had to walk on eggshells because it would be like every three months or so. I, it would be like, oh, we're good, we're good, oh, we're not so good, we're not so good, and oh, I don't know what I did to upset her, but suddenly she's not really liking me very much, 
And then, oh, oh, I'm like her worst enemy now. Okay, okay, I'm just going to back off. And then, and then suddenly she'd start like love bombing me little by little to reel me back in. And then it would just, the cycle would just continue. And I just, it's hard to realize that she's still, she's still that same person. She's still doing those things today and working in the temple. As I learned about narcissism more, one of the one of the things that I learned is that they love social communities, whether it's a country club or a religious group or a religion. And I mean, your mom is very similar to mine. She has also denied some of the things that she did to me. And I'm so sorry. Continue to be in the church and act like we're a perfect family. Yeah. I wanted to share an experience as you were talking about the temple. So for listeners who aren't familiar with the LDS church, a church building is where we go to church every Sunday. But for special ceremonies, there's a different building that we go to. It's called a temple. And in Singapore, we don't have a temple yet but we would go to the temple once a year growing up. And in order to go to the temple, you actually have an interview with the ecclesiastical leader of your congregation. And one of the questions, and I have it pulled up here, one of the questions that you are asked is, do you follow the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ in your private and public behavior with members of your family and others. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I had to laugh. (laughs) (laughs) That just makes me laugh because of how ironic it is that my mom was a temple worker and maybe still is. Well, I'm glad I brought up the question then because I feel like it just, it shows like how deep their hypocrisy is. Yeah. And I I wanted to share real quick with you and our listeners who may have narcissistic mothers and are members of the church. I remember one time I had a Temple Recommend interview and I was probably like 15, 16. And things were like so bad with my mom, like we were fighting all the time. And so when that question came up, instead of just saying... Like, no, yeah, I do follow the teachings of Christ in private and public with everybody. Instead of just saying yes, I hesitated and I asked my bishop, I was like, well, I mean, I have these like horrible arguments with my mother. Sometimes things are thrown. Sometimes she kicks me. And then the next day, I'm on it because I don't know if we're okay but then she would act like yesterday didn't happen at all oh yeah and so I would be so confused I'm like okay she seems fine so we're fine like yesterday didn't happen yep and so I, I would tell him so I told him that this this happens a lot and so we were talking for a while and he started talking about how like teenage girls are have a lot of emotions (laughs) And I was oh like, my <laughs> god! And I was like, okay, so it's it's my fault. 
and then he started oh and then he, my gosh okay i love him though like i'm still friends with this bishop but and another thing is too is bishops aren't trained mental health professionals you know what i mean they're not exactly. trained in like domestic violence so how was he to know that i was being emotionally abused but he, but like still to say like teenage girls are emotional like that's rude <laughs> like he was trying in, in like his own way get me to talk because i i was kind of like hesitant like i was reluctant mm. like i didn't i felt like i shouldn't lie but at the same time i was terrified to share what was going right. on at home because i knew that if my mother knew what i was saying that i would probably be dead or disowned yeah. which is worse as a chinese person <laughs> it's like you don't want to be disowned yeah. by your family so he was like is your mom having a hard time? Like he started asking questions about her. Oh, like, this is, like, my opportunity to share, like, what she's doing. Well, I mean, she's always kind of acted like this, and I thought it was normal, but as I've gotten older, and I go to friends' houses and other people's houses and see how they act, interact with their family, with their parents, I don't think it's normal to, like, you mentioned earlier that cycle. Yeah, like, being okay and then being not okay and just this back and forth, back and forth of yeah things being okay and things being super chaotic, right? Yeah, it's, like you you don't know like which mom am I gonna get today? Exactly. Yeah. So he helped me. He helped me to like calm down and and forgive my mom. Like we talked about forgiveness. And I felt good about saying yes, that this was a new leaf that I was going to turn. And my mom and I are good, and I feel comfortable saying that, yes, I do follow the teachings of Christ to go into the temple. So then I leave the temple recommend interview, right? But instead of being in there for like two minutes, I was in there probably for like an hour. Oh, wow. And my mother was pissed. She was like, why were you in there so long? I was like, oh, we were talking. She was like, about what? You're supposed to say yes to everything. And I was like... Oh my gosh! So I'm supposed to just lie so I can go to the temple? (laughs) Because that's what she does. (laughs) Like, that's what they do. Yeah. Because you can't honestly say, oh yeah, like, I'm good with, you know, my, my family and fellow men, like, at home and everywhere. And just be honest about that when you're when you're actually not being that way. I mean, unless they just like genuinely in their minds, I don't know. I don't, you know more about narcissists than I do. And so I don't know if maybe they, they just genuinely think, oh no, like this behavior is good and, and I'm fine. Like, I don't know. Is that a thing? (laughs) So narcissists, narcissists do have a lack of self-awareness. So, yeah, they genuinely believe that they're not doing anything wrong. That's why lying comes so naturally to them. Mm. Because they don't actually think that they're lying. They think that Mm. it's the truth. Yeah, because they've written their own narratives for their lives. Exactly. So going back to that conversation after I left that Temple Recommend interview, and my mother was upset that I was in there for so long. She's like, what do you talk about? And I was still very naive then, obviously, because I was mm-hmm. a teenager, and I still was longing for her acceptance and her approval. Yeah. So I was like, well, I told Bishop that sometimes we fight and you scream at me. And she was like, 
This is the best part, Aubrey. She was like, I don't scream at you. And she was <laughs> screaming at me as she was saying this. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So what do you do? Oh, it's so confusing, yeah. right? You yeah. say you don't scream at me. Like, that's where the gaslighting comes in and the manipulation. Uh-huh. They're trying to convince you to question what's real. Mm-hmm. But, like, they're screaming. I'd, I'm not screaming at you. Screaming. But- yeah, uh-huh, yeah. Like, that's how someone goes crazy. <laughs> yeah, hmm Yeah, that's why I I completely just questioned everything for my entire life, really, until, I mean, about 10 months ago when I, when I got back into therapy with my current therapist, and she really, it was like the second session with her where she, I told her about the locking me in the laundry room and you know she told me that was abuse and everything like that was the first time in my entire life and like I I was that was just before I turned 29 years old first time in like about 29 years that I actually realized oh my gosh I'm not crazy and this is not healthy or acceptable or normal behavior that my mom has been doing and, you know, acting towards me for my entire life. I, I'm totally in the right to, to be feeling the way that I've been feeling towards her and her actions for my entire life. And, you know, and she has been gaslighting me with trying to, to tell me that she straight up told me when I'm in the, last few years my brother and I he's brought up the the laundry room thing and and he would just say it in kind of like a halfway joking halfway serious kind of way and he would just be like remember when you locked us when you lock us in the laundry room for time out <laughs> that was scary <laughs> and then just kind of laugh yeah but like also he's on the autism spectrum he's very high functioning but still and so like he you know, my mom kind of has that grasp on him with that too, because she has that advantage over him where he doesn't, he just doesn't see just how, how toxic and damaging she is and these behaviors are. And so anyways, when he said that, and then I just was like, but really though, (laughs) and she just snapped and, and she was like, this was like maybe two years ago, something like that. And she was just like, oh, my gosh, you guys act like I was abusing you. I, I wasn't abusing you. And you act like it was so much worse than it really was. And it wasn't even that bad, blah, 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 blah. And just like you said, like with that gaslighting and but saying it very defensively, very she was angry and offended. Yeah, very, very offended. Like we had just personally destroyed her her reputation and and said that her her character was just terrible and so and of course all of that just how they look is everything how they look on the outside how they how people perceive them to be as people on the inside and all of that it's just it's everything to them and so because we had we had kind of put that in question, even in a private setting, 
she she was just livid and just let us know that we were wrong and that <laughs> that it really wasn't that bad and that you know it wasn't abuse and whatever but it was it was she just was gaslighting us and couldn't she couldn't accept the fact that she had done something so terrible yeah because that would mean that she would have to be accountable yeah and that would be exactly very scary for her to own up yeah and take responsibility for how she hurt you guys yeah it's true it's true how has realizing and, and learning about the abuse affected your mental health that's a great question honestly so in in some ways i i feel like it's helped just in terms of you know recognizing like oh my gosh i'm not the crazy one <laughs> so this is awesome good news i'm not crazy um <laughs> uh but then in other ways i mean i guess just the whole recognizing that my mom's a narcissist and that i was abused has overall that recognition has been a positive thing to uh, as far as me getting the help that I've needed for my mental health because in doing the trauma work and therapy that I've been working on um, to heal I I've recognized that okay I I definitely have PTSD my therapist told me that and then it's like okay you know I know that there's a lot of other stuff going on up here in my head and I want to figure out exactly what's going on, get proper diagnoses from from a professional so that I can figure out how to actually heal. And so then I saw a psychiatrist. I was diagnosed with five different mental health conditions. <laughs> Yay me! Uh, depression, anxiety, CPTSD, com- so complex PTSD, and OCD and ADHD. And so... I guess that in a way being aware and has kind of it's helped to lead me to seek the help that I that I've needed for a long time which is a great thing and so I'm I'm grateful for that awareness as far as that goes. Thank you so much for sharing that May is Mental Health Awareness Month and I hope that this episode will encourage adult children of narcissistic mothers to ask for help. Growing up with narcissistic mothers, we were taught not to ask for help, to figure things out on our own. And I just feel so grateful that you were willing to be vulnerable with us and to share your story. Thank you so much for having me, Marie. I really, really appreciate you giving me this incredible opportunity to share my story. So thank you. Thanks so much, Aubrey. Real quick, before we end, could you share with listeners how they can connect with you? Yes. So you can find me on Instagram. And I have a page that is called Daughters of Narcissistic Mothers. Awesome. Thank you so much again, Aubrey, for your time. Yes, thank you so much, Marie. It was a pleasure. Hey friend, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review or share it with someone you love. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you next time.